Hey, this is John, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org forward slash young adults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Hello, friends. Today, if you would like to read along with me, we're going to be in John 19, verses 28 through 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it into his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. All right, y'all can be seated. What's up, what's up, young adults? My name is Kevin Dunn. Uh, I am, uh, thank you. Uh, I am our biblical formation pastor, um, fresh in at five months here at Mosaic and love this church, uh, love doing uh, life alongside people like yourselves who love Jesus like you do. Uh, man, I love Caesar. You guys give it up for Caesar, our uh, young adult, soon to be pastor. Um, I love hearing him pray. How about you? But I just love the intensity uh, and the beauty of the language in which he prays. And I was just over there listening to him and just thinking about, man, if, if Caesar prays like that, how much more intensely and passionately does Jesus pray for you? Like right now, if you belong to Jesus, like even more passionately, Jesus talks to the Father about you right now, even as you sit in your seat. So, Rest in that, it's a beautiful truth. Um, so I get to serve and uh, look over uh, our Bible studies, our classes that uh, Caesar just talked about. So we'd love to have you be a part. Uh, but I see it as my role to help push back uh, biblical illiteracy, uh, to help equip you to know the Bible in such a way that you fall more and more in love with God. Uh, the more that we learn people, the more that we love them, right? And, and if, as I'm married, the more that I get to know my wife, uh, I learn her, I love her. And so it is with God. We want to learn him in such a way that we love him more and more. And so uh, anytime that you're able to be a part, we'd love to have you be a part of our Bible study uh, in classes. My wife is right back there, Diana. Everyone say, hi, Diana. She loves that. Cool. Um, and so we're so glad to be here. But I'm not here to talk about myself. I'm here to talk about Jesus. Uh, so we'll be in John chapter 19. Uh, and if you've been here for a few weeks, uh, I know we had a break. And we just kicked back off last week. But we've been in the gospel of John, uh, which is my favorite gospel. Uh, and if you're new to church and you don't know uh, the Bible very well, uh, the gospel of John is basically a biography about Jesus. It's who Jesus is, why he came, what he came to do, and what all of that means for your life. Um, and so John actually ends his uh, gospel at the end of chapter 20. There's 21 chapters, but at the end of chapter 21, he says, I have written these things. I'm sorry, at the end of 20. So I've written all these things so that you may believe and that by believing, you may have life in his name, in Jesus's name. So all across this gospel, John is holding up Jesus and wanting you to see him in such a way that you remove your trust from this world and self to Jesus. And so we're at the climax of the Gospel of John. The whole Bible points to tonight's passage. The rest of the Bible points back to this passage. This passage that we're looking at tonight is central and foundational to everything the Bible is about. 
And so if this is your first time, you picked a really good night to come. I'm really glad uh, that you're here. I'm excited about what God is gonna do. And so uh, let's pray one more time and let's ask God to speak to us. Uh, If your heart is like mine, uh, my heart easily wanders off into, man, what am I gonna wear tomorrow? And I gotta get this done. And how am I gonna fix this problem? Um, And so let's ask the spirit of God to, alongside Psalm 119, to open our eyes to behold wonderful things in his word. We need that. Pizza is naturally wonderful. Netflix is naturally wonderful, but the word of God is not naturally wonderful. It is supernaturally wonderful. We need the spirit of God to give us understanding and help to see what we can't see in our own. So let's take a moment, let's pray and ask the spirit of God to do that in our hearts and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you so much that tonight, because of what Jesus has accomplished, that tonight we stand on finished ground. We don't have to prove, we don't have to strive, we don't have to earn. We just get to receive. And so God, I beg, I beg you, God, that you would help us to be humble enough, to lay down our pride enough, to hold out our hands and to receive what you have for us tonight. God, there are people in this room who are blind to the gospel of Jesus. And I pray that you would give them sight. I pray that you would work the miracle of faith in them and cause them to be made alive together with Christ. And God, I pray for believers in this room who are discouraged, who are distraught. God, who are questioning themselves, who don't think that you love them anymore. Oh God, please meet them. Please refresh them and renew a right spirit within them and restore to them the joy of your salvation. God, come and do what only you can do. The kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. So God, pour out your power on this place by your grace and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I was reading this passage and uh, there's something that regularly happens in my life that I'm praying that God does uh, in us by way of illustration uh, here tonight. So maybe you identify uh, with this maybe happening in your life, but it is a regular occurrence to me uh, where right before I'm about to leave uh, to where I have to be somewhere on time, I can't find a particular thing I need to go about my day. And so typically it's my ring. Uh, sometimes it might be my belt. Uh, sometimes it's that, that, that hat that just goes with what I wanna rock that day. Uh, but there's that thing that I need and it is nowhere to be found, right? So I'm looking all over the house. I'm looking underneath the couch. I'm looking like underneath my bed. Uh, I'm looking everywhere for this particular thing. And I knew I put it like where I always put it, but it's not there, right? And I'll go back to the same place like five times, hoping by some chance or miracle that it's just gonna appear there at some point. And this frustration builds up in me because I can't find what I'm looking for. I'm getting angry. Like, why isn't this thing where it's supposed to be? Right? And so I come to a point where finally, like in my pride, okay, I'm gonna ask for help now. <laughs> and so I'll go to my wife and I'll say, hey, Diana, have you seen my ring? And she'll say, oh yeah, it's under the counter underneath the magazine. And then I'll go over there, lift it up, and there it is, right? Happens to me all the time. Like so much of the time, what I am looking for has already been found. If I had just gone to my wife and asked her, hey, where can I find this thing? 
like I would have saved myself some, from so much frustration and filled myself with so much rest. I could have just grabbed my uh, ring or grabbed my belt and be on my way. And here's what this passage does for us tonight. This passage helps you find what's already been found. This, helped, this, this passage helps accomplish what you and I had the propensity to work for in frustration and struggle for and strive. Well, what do I mean? Like, what are, what, are, what are we looking for that our culture, our world is having trouble finding on its own? And here's, here's the word that I feel like this passage meets us in is enoughness. That's not a word, but I'll, I'll unpack it in a second, but it's enoughness, enoughness. Everyone in this room is like longs for and aches for feeling like you're enough. Right, so in our culture, it's a, it's a big sentiment to say, hey, you're enough. You don't have anything to prove. You are enough. And I get the sentiment behind that. But at the same time, while the world screams that at us, many of us don't feel like we're enough, right? Because uh, in one sense, the world says, hey, you're enough. But in another sense, in the same like, vein, the, the world also says, you're not enough because to be enough, you need to look like this. You need to be this smart. You need to have this iPhone. You need to have this kind of car. If you have these things, then you are enough. And so you're enough, but you're not enough. And so many of us in this room struggle with feeling like, oh, man, I'm not enough. What's that? What, what, is, what is that to be enough? And I just boiled it down to this, to this one question. Am I enough to be loved? Am I enough to matter, to have value? Many of you in this room, you ask yourself this all the time. Am I smart enough? Do I look good enough? Do I have enough money? Am I entertaining enough for people to like me? Am I Christian enough? for people here to like me or for God to like me? And in this quest for trying to find enoughness, many of us are frustrated and anxious. Like if I could be completely honest, like as pastors, guys, let me just make a confession. Like we have a pulse too and we're not grace graduates. Like I have a propensity in me to come up here and hey, I'm, I'm gonna try and find by being up here, by proving to you guys that I can preach good enough for you to like me. And that's empty. And so what this passage does is there is something that, that this passage holds up that has been found that you don't have to find anymore, that you don't have to look for and strive for anymore. And so John builds up to this point, holding up Jesus. And uh, so you've been in uh, John 17 uh, last week. And so right after John 17, Jesus is, is praying that the Father would be glorified and that he would be glorified by making us one with himself. And so he prays in the garden of Gethsemane, headed towards where Jesus is now. And so Jesus is uh, eventually betrayed by one of his followers, Judas. Uh, Judas gives him a kiss as a sign of betrayal and handing him over to be arrested. Uh, Jesus is brought before uh, the chief priests and the scribes who, uh, who uh, they accuse him of blasphemy because he's claiming to be the son of God. And so they're beating him, they're blinding him and saying, if you really are the son of God, who's, who's spitting on you? Who's, who's slapping you? Like they're, they're torturing him. 
And then these chief priests bring Jesus before Pilate, the governor, to be tried for blasphemy, to be executed for claiming to be the son of God. And so Pilate gives him a trial and doesn't find any guilt in him, but the crowds want him to be crucified. They don't want Jesus to live anymore. And so Pilate says, okay, like I'll have him beaten. I'll have my soldiers flog him. I'll have them torture him. And maybe that'll be enough. So they do that. They mock him. They put a fake crown of thorns on his head. They put a fake robe over his back. They beat him up and present him to the crowd, but it's not enough. The crowd says, crucify him crucify him. And so Pilate tries again. He says, okay, I can let someone go free. I have a robber, someone who's clearly uh, like in need of the death penalty. And I have Jesus, who's a pretty good, kind guy. Like he actually loves a lot of people and I don't find any guilt in him. So he puts them before everyone and the people say, give us Barabbas, give us the robber, crucify Jesus. One gets to go free and Jesus dies. It's all of our stories of those who trust in Jesus. Barabbas goes free, even though he deserves death. And so Pilate hands over Jesus to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Jesus carries his cross to what's called Golgotha, the place of the skull. And they nail his hands to the cross and they nail his feet to the bottom of the cross and he's hoisted up to be crucified. And Jesus at this moment says, after all these things, he said, I thirst. And they uh, raise up a, hip, a hyssop branch to uh, give him a drink. And he says, it is finished. Here's tonight's main idea that I want you to get uh, out of this passage and where we are. Jesus accomplished what you could never earn so that you would have a love you could never lose. Jesus accomplished what you could never earn so that you would have a love you could never lose. That's the goal of tonight that I want you to see in the, in the it is finished of the cross. And we're gonna get to that main idea by asking ourselves, what is finished? Like Jesus says, it is finished. And when I look at this passage, I ask myself, well, what's it? Like he just says it. He doesn't say this, this, and this is finished. He says, it is finished. And I, what, I, what I wanna do tonight is unpack or detonate the word it into our lives and give us a freedom from having to find what's already been found. And so the word, what is finished, actually the three words is actually one word in the original language. It's the word uh, tetelestai in Greek. It means it is finished. Um, and it finds its root in the Greek word telos, which is, uh, means uh, to have purpose. If you like, or into like etymology or words, uh, teleology is uh, basically the study of purpose. Um, and so Jesus is basically saying, I have accomplished um, my purpose. I have come to fulfill my end. I've come to finish what the, the mission that has been given to me to do, right? So he says, to tell us die, it is done. So what's done? What's been accomplished? What's over that Jesus came to do? So I wanna unpack four things, looking back over the gospels that Jesus said, I've come to do this, that Jesus declares it is finished over. What's finished? Four quick things. First, the law and the prophets are fulfilled. The law and the prophets are fulfilled. John 19, 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture. All right, so surrounding the crucifixion of Jesus, you'll have this pattern uh, before and after the cross of he said this, he did this, or this happened to fulfill the scriptures. 
And this is a completion of what Jesus said he came to do in uh, Matthew chapter five. Listen to what Jesus says to um, this crowd and particularly the Pharisees. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I have come to complete them. What's Jesus saying? Jesus said, Jesus is saying, I have come to accomplish perfection. I have come to accomplish blamelessness. Like, okay, cool, Jesus is perfect, but what what does that have to do with me? So here's your problem and my problem, is we have before God a need to work up a righteousness, a work up a rightness that makes us worthy of being in right relationship with God. Listen to this passage. It's not gonna be on the screen because I added it a little bit later today, but Psalm 24, three through four says this. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Basically, Psalm uh, 24 is saying only those who are pure and righteous and perfect and holy can come into the presence of God, right? It's kind of like, uh, I have two boys, a six and eight year old, right? And so I typically like my house to be a relatively clean place. And so out in our backyard, they love to, the two little boys, they love to play in the mud. Like they actually love to like, just be like, Transparent. They love to actually get butt naked and play in the mud. They cover themselves in the mud. Like they don't have any kind of shame yet. And so then after that, what they like to do is they love to try and come and run in the house all muddy. And so me and Diana, every time, no, 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 no. You are not coming in here like that. You need to clean yourself up and then you can come in, right? All of us are like that. We don't want anybody coming into our space covered in, in mud or anything that would defile our space. And so it is with God. We are covered in sin and we can't come into his place, into his presence covered in what would defile his place and his presence. And so like I can tell my boys to clean up, but if they start like trying to like rub it all off, it just gets worse right? They can't clean themselves up. They need a source, something else from outside themselves to cover and clean them up. And so we bring out the hose, right? And we hose them off. And so what Jesus is doing is providing another source because you can't clean yourself up. Second Corinthians 5.21 says this, reflecting on the cross, for our sake, he made God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, who was blameless, who was righteous, who knew no sin, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is accomplishing perfection and blamelessness so that he could give that blamelessness and perfection to your account so that God would see you as perfect and blameless and your muddiness, your sin would be given to him on the cross and he would pay for that. We'll talk about that in a second. One author says this, God treated Jesus on the cross as if he lived your life so he could treat you as if you lived his. When I was in college, you know, I struggled a lot with if I was doing enough for God to love me. And so I had to, what, I, what we call, preach the gospel to myself every day. And so I had uh, on my binder uh, in college on a post-it note, this uh, quote that I read every single day to remind myself, and it's this. And I would encourage you to put it before you every day. God loves you, not because of your performance, but because of Christ's performance. 
Literally write that and put that before you every single day if you trust in Jesus. God loves me, not because of my performance, not because of the extent of my faith, but because of Christ's performance. He is enough. That's the only reason that God loves you. God's love for you doesn't waver, fall, or falter, dependent upon your performance. Jesus said, it is finished and it is done. And that is the only reason by your trust, your faith, John says that you may believe, that you may trust in his finished work, his finished performance, not yours. And so guys, listen, because I stand on finished ground here right now, I don't have to come up here and prove myself to you to earn your approval. I don't have to come up here searching for something I haven't found. It is for me, found. I am approved of before the God of the universe. And so guys, now listen, I'm free to just come up here and love you rather than use you to give me an approval that I can't find. Jesus' performance for me sets me free to love and to serve rather than to use people. Secondly, the devil is defeated. The law and the prophets are fulfilled. The devil is defeated. Jesus, uh, uh, verse 19, I'm sorry, chapter 19, verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now think about like we have kind of the luxury of the whole Bible to, to, to view it is finished through. But those who were there, who were watching Pilate and the disciples and the crowds, when Jesus said, it is finished and he died, what would it would have sounded like to them? it would have sounded like it is finished was not a cry of victory or that he won anything, but that he lost, that he was defeated, that he was overcome. So what is it? Was it is finished a cry of victory or was it a cry of defeat, of being overcome? Well, I love what Jesus says in John 12, 31, anticipating the cross. He says, Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, referring to Satan. So asking the question, how does the, it is finished of the cross, cast out the ruler of this world? How does the, it is finished of the cross, cast out Satan? How does it defeat the devil? Well, who is the devil? The devil literally means, across scripture, it means slanderer or, or one who trips up, right? The devil is also called in other passages, Satan, um, which means uh, someone who accuses. He accuses the brethren, he accuses Christians especially, and he also accuses God. What Satan across scripture is like specifically is a spiritual bully. He comes to you and to me and tells you, you're nothing. God could never love you. You keep going back to the same sin. You keep messing up. Why keep reading your Bible? Why join a reading plan? That doesn't work. You keep going back to the same sins. God doesn't, God doesn't have joy for you. You keep trying to live holy, but look at all your other friends who are not Christians. They're having fun. They have joy. Life is harder for you, actually, the more that you're a Christian. Why continue to follow Jesus? He accuses God and he accuses you. But I love what Colossians, what Paul talks about in connecting how the, it is finished of the cross overcomes the devil. Paul says this, in chapter two, verse 13 uh, through 15 in Colossians. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh in the past, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us, all, uh, forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's the, it is finished. He disarmed the rulers. So that's the ruler of this world, that's Satan. The rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in 
Jesus. This passage reminds me of a friend of mine uh, who was telling me about when he was uh, in middle school, there was this other guy, this other middle schooler who would, uh, was just a bully, would make fun of him all the time, would constantly put him out like in front of other people and make fun of him. And uh, my friend like continued to get like upset and he continued to be like down on himself because this bully like loved to make fun of him and exploit my friend. And so my friend like actually like got fed up with it and threatened this bully and said, hey, if you don't stop, I'm gonna get you back, right? And so um, gave him that threat. And so one day they're all outside, they're all like, Everyone's kind of playing and, and there's basketball going on and all the girls are out there and all of the guys, whatever, they're having fun. And this bully comes up to him and makes fun of him again. So my friend said he walked away and uh, while the bully wasn't looking, came from behind the bully in front of everybody and de-pantsed him, pulled his pants down in front of everybody, like put him to open shame, right? So this, this kid was like so laughed at, so ashamed. And my friend got so in trouble that uh, this bully never bullied him again. Like he shut up. The shame that he experienced shut his mouth. And what, that's basically what Paul is saying in this passage is that when Jesus said it is finished, he came behind Satan and pulled his pants down in front of the entire universe. He de-pants him and put him to open shame so that he would shut his mouth. Guys, listen, Satan has no accusation against you. All accusations were nailed to the cross. I love what Martin Luther says. He says, so when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know of one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, son of God. And where he is, there I shall be also. Satan has no word. The cross, as we sang earlier ago, has the final word. Satan has been defeated. Not only that, the cup is emptied. The law and the prophets are fulfilled. The devil is defeated and the cup is emptied. Verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, going back, he said uh, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. So now we, we look at the cross and we see these physical sufferings and anguish that's going on. But um, what we know is uh, from scripture is that there's actually so much more happen, happening spiritually behind the physical. That Jesus isn't just dying physically, um, that there's wrath being experienced uh, spiritually because lots of people were crucified during this time. And actually lots of Christians when they were crucified did so with joy. And so why is Jesus experiencing utter anguish and, and thirst in such a way that others didn't? Tim Keller says this, it is because Jesus Christ experienced cosmic thirst on the cross that you and I can have our spiritual thirst satisfied. You see, we don't only have a problem of having to work up righteousness to stand before God and come into his place, into his presence, but we also have a payment to be paid because of our sin. There is just and holy wrath because God is a good judge and no sin goes unpunished. We deserve punishment. And so I have a righteousness that I can't work up and I have a debt that I can't pay. And so uh, going back to the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says this in Matthew 26, 39, talking to the father and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What is this cup? I thought he's about to be crucified on a cross. What's this cup that he's going to drink? 
Well, this cup is a reference to the Old Testament. Listen to these couple of the passages. Isaiah 51, verse 17. Wake yourself, wake yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem. You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. Or Jeremiah 25, 15. Thus, uh, thus the Lord, the God of Israel said to me, take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath. So what Jesus is referring to is let this cup pass for me. He's saying that I am about to endure and absolve eternal wrath upon myself by dying on the cross for sinners who deserve to be in this place, right? If Jesus is sinful, is sinless and, and blameless and righteous, then why is he dying? Because the wages of sin is death. Then why is he dying? He must be taking it in the place of someone else who deserves to be there. Jesus saying that he took the cup of the wrath that was deserving for you and for I. He drank every last drop and poured the cup, or pulled the cup over to where there was no drop to be found. Jesus drunk all the agony, all the wrath, all the just punishment that you and I deserve so that there will be no more for you. Guys, listen, there is not an ounce. If you trust in Jesus, if you trust in his finished work rather than your own, there is not an ounce of anger that God would ever feel towards you because every ounce of that anger and wrath has been drunken. The cup has been emptied. There is no more. That's why Paul would say in Romans 8, 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? I'm gonna say that again. In Romans 8, 31, it says, if God is for us, he's not against us. If he is for us, who can be against us? If you are in Jesus, all of the wrath, all of the punishment that you deserved is gone. God is only and finally and always for you, not against you. And that is dependent upon it is finished. The accomplished work of Jesus, the cup has been emptied. So guys, listen, because the law and the prophets are fulfilled, the devil is defeated, the cup is emptied. Lastly, salvation is provided. Everything is accomplished that is necessary to make you right with God. We are saved from not having a right standing before God. We're saved from the accusations and deceit of the devil. We are saved from the just wrath we deserve if we trust in his finished work rather than our own. We know what everyone else saw when Jesus was dying on the cross, but I wonder like, I asked myself, what did Jesus see when he was dying on the cross? What was going on inside him? Well, we actually have a glimpse into the mind of Christ uh, from a prophecy in the Old Testament. Listen to Isaiah 53, what's going on inside uh, Jesus. It says, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. <laughs> Jesus is on the cross. You haven't been born yet. You don't have any works yet. You haven't accomplished anything yet. Jesus on the cross sees and he's satisfied. Why? It says this, because by his knowledge, shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. He looks from the cross in the anguish of the pain of him absolving the wrath that you deserve and he sees you. He sees you and he's satisfied because he has provided an account of righteousness for you and a payment for sin for you so that you would have everything that you need to be made right with God. I love this, this little thought. We, um, 
we're meeting uh, as a teach team on, I think it was Tuesday, uh, meditating on this passage and praying together. And um, Cass brought up a really good point. I'm not sure if she's here tonight, but really cool point that she brought up in our teach team meeting. Um, She just uh, mentioned that, man, it's really cool how Jesus, he's on the cross and he's stripped of everything. Like his clothes are stripped of him. Like he's on the cross naked, humiliated. His disciples actually have abandoned him because they think that he lost. The crowds that used to cheer for him are now yelling, crucify him. He has lost everything. He's been stripped of everything. And in the moment of having nothing, Jesus says, it is finished. What he's saying is, even when all else has been stripped away from me, when nothing is added to me, in fact, everything has been taken away from me, right now, in this moment, I am enough. It is finished. So what that means, guys, listen, you have nothing to add to him. In the moment where he has nothing, he is everything. I love what this one quote uh, says. We cannot add to a finished work. We cannot contribute to completion. We can only hold out the hand of faith and humbly, happily receive it. So, but that still begs the question, okay, Kevin, so I just, I just receive forgiveness. I just receive salvation. Then why do I still have to work? Why is Caesar up there asking me to read my Bible every day? Why are you guys talking to me? I have to go out there and like do missions and share the gospel with people. Why do I still have to resist the devil? Why do I have to submit to God, resist the devil and the devil will flee from me? Why do I have to battle the devil per Ephesians chapter six? Why do I still have these works to do? I thought the law was fulfilled. Why do I have to do all these things? I thought, I thought it was finished. Why? I think the answer is found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Listen to what uh, Peter says. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, all that we just talked about. Why? That he might bring us to God. So Jesus accomplished everything necessary. The, the point was not for the, just for you to be forgiven, not for you to just have righteousness, not so that your wrath would just be absolved in Jesus, but to bring you into relationship with God. Everything necessary to bring you into relationship with God. And guys, listen, every relationship comes with practices that deepen intimacy. Every relationship that you're in comes with rules. Relationships without rules leads to betrayal and mistrust. You expect things of everyone who's in any kind of friendship or relationship with you. You want to do things. You text one another. You spend time together. You ask how each other are doing. You pray for one another. You don't lie to each other. You don't betray one another. You don't gossip. You don't do things to protect the relationship, to protect the intimacy. And guys, all these practices, go out and share the gospel. Listen to like, read your Bible every day. All these are practices of deepening intimacy, not what accomplishes the intimacy, not what accomplishes the relationship. Relationship. Jesus did everything to accomplish it. We just get to live into it. Guys, listen, we are not saved for a task to perform. We are saved for a relationship to enjoy. And these practices are about depth, not about earning. And when these practices become about trying to offer up God's work, uh, offer up good work so that God will like us, they become a burden. They become something they're not meant to do. And as much as you think that God views you through your practices, you'll constantly be frustrated. You'll constantly be looking for something that can't be found. 
Guys, listen, we get to walk with God on finished ground. Remind yourself of that tonight when you walk out of here. If you trust in Jesus and his finished work, you walk on finished ground. If you trust in Jesus right now, you are on finished ground right now. So let me close by asking, I don't know where you're looking for enoughness, but ask yourself that, search your heart. Where are you looking for enoughness? Maybe you're looking for it in feeling smart. Maybe you're looking for it in the way that you look. Maybe you're looking for it in how well you're doing in school right now or how well you're working at your job. Maybe you're looking for it in the way a certain relationship approves of you or disapproves of you. Maybe you're looking for enoughness in religion and how well you practice things or know theology. Guys, listen, if you're here discouraged and frustrated, feeling like you're not enough, hear our heavenly father through the power of the spirit, hear him whisper to you tonight. Did you look at the cross? Did you look at the cross? That's where enoughness is found. I'm gonna close with this quote and pray. Corey Tim Boom says, look to the world, be distressed. Look within, be depressed. Look to Christ, find rest. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. I just wanna give you a moment to sit before the Lord tonight and respond however the Spirit is calling you to respond. There are some of you in this room who, man, you've never trusted in the finished work of Jesus. If I came to you before tonight and I said, man, how, how do you know that you're going to heaven one day? Or how do you know that you're in right relationship with God? Or how do you know that God loves you? Many of you would have said, man, I, I don't know. I hope so. I hope I do enough. Can I just tell you that in light of what we talked about tonight, you don't have to hope. You can know. You can know that you know that you know that the God of the universe loves you and is for you, that you belong to him, that you'll be with him now and forevermore. You can know. You don't have to hope. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to look within yourself to determine whether or not God is for you and loves you and will be with you forever. How can you know? Trust in Jesus. Open your hands and let go of whatever in this world you've been looking for enoughness in. Open your hands and let it go. And turn your hands open to Jesus to receive what he alone accomplished for you in your place. Will you receive tonight for the first time the finished work of Jesus, what you don't have to accomplish on your own, you can just receive. I wanna give you a moment to talk to God about that, to ask him for salvation, to ask him for forgiveness, to ask him for his grace, to ask him for him because of what Jesus has done for you. And if you're here and you're a Christian tonight, maybe you've forgotten these things. 
you've been looking for enoughness and things in this world and you're anxious, you're frustrated, you're hurting, you're struggling, you're scared of being found out. And that's you just all heads bowed, all eyes closed. I just wanna pray for you and ask that the spirit of God would come and renew a right spirit within you and restore to you the joy of your salvation, reminding you that your enoughness is not found in anything in this world, but in the cross alone, in the resurrection and life of Jesus alone. So I can just pray for you. If, you. if that's you, would you just raise your hand? Kevin, would you pray for me? I've been looking for enoughness and other things and I've forgotten where enoughness is really found. I see you. God sees you. Here's what I want us all to do. Uh, Just a a couple of quiet moments, more moments that I wanna give you because we don't get very many quiet moments in our day as we continue uh, in this posture. I wanna ask you a question that I want you to consider before God that all of us would consider. Why does God want you to hear it is finished, declared over your life tonight? What rest does God want you to experience tonight because of the it is finished of the cross? Take a quiet moment and I'll be praying that the spirit of God will work in our hearts as answers come to mind. And I'll pray for us. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use this message you just received and direct your heart completely towards him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.